But right now, companies are busy instead putting in recycling bins, even though recycling is a fraud. And once they know that they are working on the wrong stuff, my hope is they'll start working on the right stuff. Hi, my name is Kristen P. Ahern, and welcome to an archive episode of Sustaining Sustainability. We're closing out our summer archive series with our all-time most popular episode with noted writer and the coordinator of the Carbon Albanac, Seth Godin. His words are timeless, and this episode is a primer for understanding the basics of what carbon is and why it could change the world as we know it. I encourage you to consider the points he makes about the importance of systems change from buy more to do less, and how marketing can tell a story to energize behavior change. We hope this conversation inspires you not only to find the green alternative to a practice, but contemplate alternative, sustainable systems. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Sustaining Sustainability. I'm your host, C.B. Paracharya, professor and the director of the Center for Sustainable Business at the University of Pittsburgh. This week, I'm beyond delighted to say that I'm joined from Hastings on Hudson, New York, by Seth Godin, best-selling author, five-time TED Talk speaker, founder of Akimbo, and coordinator of the Carbon Al Almanac, It's Not Too Late, a collection of more than 300 pages of tables, charts, illustrations, cartoons, comics, insights, quotes, and ways to understand what's going on with climate change. It is a collaboration between more than 300 writers, researchers, thinkers, and illustrators that provides credible and authoritative information on carbon and its impact on climate. Seth has written over 20 best-selling books and his work has been translated into nearly 40 languages. He's also a pioneer of ethical online direct marketing, now a $30 billion a year industry. Seth, welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me and I appreciate that kind intro. Sure. Uh, let's start with the basics for our, our listeners. So what is carbon? Why does it matter and why should we care? We're made out of carbon. Everything around us has got some carbon in it. Carbon is neutral. It's not good or bad. But in the last 150 years, we have built a system, an industrial system, an economic system that is fueled by digging cheap energy out of the ground and burning it. And when we do that, it puts little tiny particles of carbon dioxide into the air. Now that seems fairly innocuous. It turns out there's almost no carbon in the air. If we imagine 10,000 dots in one gulp of air, of the 10,000 dots, for the longest time, three of them were carbon. And now it's four. And if it gets to five, the world as we know it is over. And so the reason that it's called the Carbon Almanac is because we know we have a climate problem. People experience weather every day, but we have been brainwashed and indoctrinated to not talk about it. And what we wanted to do was give people a foundational document that made them comfortable enough to talk about the system. Because if we don't talk about the system, we can't make it better. So we've all volunteered to do this, including me, to create this thing that we can share so we can talk about it. That's a great segue into what I would ask you next, which is, can you share with the audience a bit more about what the Carbon Almanac is and, and its core purpose? So I used to make almanacs for a living before I was a best-selling author. I did the Business Almanac, which was a great book before the World Wide Web, uh, Celebrity Almanac, a, a Women's Almanac, 
Almanacs are magical because almanacs fit the attention span of many people, including me, which is, oh, here's two or three pages. Oh, here's a cartoon or a table or a chart. I just feel a little smarter. And then I'll put it down and go on to the next thing. And what I felt like is that we have sped up so much of the way we are getting information or actually data that we aren't turning it into information and that we are treating made-up stuff and placebos and wives' tales exactly the same way we treat actual truth. And books are magic and books have a, uh, a Proustian impact on people because they stand the test of time. So what I wanted to do, thanks to my friends at Penguin, I was able to do is organize a group of people to make a book that is best as a book that you can browse through, that you can circle, that you can hand to someone else. And Almanacs have been around since Ben Franklin, and that's because they work. And, and do you believe that gathering over 300 individuals, which I'm sure was not an easy task for you to build this project, was, was kind of ultimately uh, delivered its purpose? Well, actually, the easiest thing at all of all the entire project was finding volunteers. We're now up to 2,000 in 91 countries. The hard part, as someone who was a freelancer for a long time and does things himself, was not doing it myself. And the win, the magic, was that things were contributed that I never could have imagined, that people pushed this in directions that wouldn't have been on my agenda. And so by organizing and coordinating and editing and processing the inputs of so many people, it became better. And that is the metaphor, because that's the only way we're going to fix our climate as well. So we often talk about greenwashing on our show. And uh, as a marketing expert, uh, what advice can you offer companies to avoid unethical marketing or climate washing or purpose washing when speaking about their sustainability efforts? Okay, so we have to take a couple steps back because you're doing really important work and your book adds one more element to what needs to be discussed. But if you don't see the system, we can't make the system better. And the system runs deeper than anyone is really aware of. The system says we live in a capitalist world that became focused on production and convenience and price. And that, you know, if we just go back 150 years, the typical consumer in the United States, which these were folks who used to be called people, the typical person in the United States had two pairs of shoes and two pairs of pants. That the idea of a storage unit was ludicrous that things didn't go on sale and there weren't department stores and the price tag hadn't been invented yet. All of these things that we take for granted aren't normal. So the very fact that you work at a company, the very fact that you have a marketing department, that's not normal. You're part of a system. And so you say, under the circumstances, we're doing our best. But the circumstances are such that they're going to kill us all. And as a result, Everything that we do at some level is a level of greenwashing. But, and it's a huge but that is highlighted so beautifully in the book, The Wizard and the Prophet, is we either have to sell more or we're going to have to sell less. Selling less means have fewer kids, eat fewer of everything, don't go outside, just do less. And that's a very hard thing to do when we live in a system based on more. And so we also need to sell more more innovation, more resilience, 
more technology to make things better, more possibility. And we have to do those things in balance. So when a company says, the way some of the oil companies are saying, we're going to go net zero by buying carbon credits and using solar panels on our refineries, they're clearly making things worse simply by existing. And one coal plant undoes the work of 500,000 intentional humans who are trying to do a better job. So we're going to have to make some real big systemic changes. With that said, when we look at a company like Patagonia that encourages, actively encourages people to buy fewer clothes and get them fixed instead, I think that's a step towards systemic change. So I know I didn't actually answer your question, but I wanted to stop talking so that you could clarify what I missed. Yeah, no, I think it's it's quite fascinating. And I realize as a fellow sustainability academic uh, writer that it does all of these things that you're saying are very, very true and that we need to uproot that system. Now, as also a fellow marketing professional, then can you help our audience understand why you also think that marketing is the best approach, you know, principles wise to address the climate change problem? Well, you only have two choices. One choice is you can tell stories that resonate, that spread, that persuade people to change their activities. That is the definition of marketing, not advertising, but stories that spread, that change people's activities. Or you can be the king of the world and demand that people do things differently. And that has never worked and we don't have a king. If we did, that person could issue edicts it would more likely be a queen because they would uh, do it in the right way, could issue edicts that would just change the system. It's not going to happen. So given that it's not going to happen, all that's left is telling a story that caused people to work together to change systems. And in the case of climate, the system change that we need is extremely simple and very hard to do. And what we need to do is charge a fair price for things that are based in carbon. If we did that, the market would go to work to solve the problem. And where do you think is the weakness in that plan? Why do we struggle so much to make it happen? Part one is that there are uh, 100 companies that have more than a trillion dollars worth of stuff underground, and they don't want the value of that stuff to change. So they are fighting over time to keep the system the way it is. Problem number two is human beings aren't good at thinking about the future, and they hate thinking about death and talking to people about changing the system so that things will be better in the future runs against the sense of the discount rate and the way people live their lives in a convenience-fueled society. And so we are inherently conservative about this sort of change. And I guess problem number three is the people who have the most power have come to have more and more say. And so even though 150 million people are going to become climate refugees in the next five years, we're not listening to them. And we're not going to start listening to them until we have a problem that we might be too late to solve. Yeah, these are deep-rooted issues indeed. But can I let me just ask one follow-up and then we'll move topics. So are we in agreement then that without reduced consumption, this entire narrative that innovation can solve the climate change problem is fallacious? Because that's what I believe, at least. I guess we have to decide what kind of consumption you're talking about. I think that if everyone on earth ate beef the way 
uh, people in Pittsburgh and New York do, we would need another planet just to hold all the cows. That's not going to happen. So we need to dramatically lower the consumption of cattle bred beef. Does that mean we have to lower the consumption of healthy, resilient foods? I'm not sure that there's evidence to that to indicate that that's the case. Should we not move around or should we switch the way we move around from uh, a car that gets 12 miles to the gallon to an electric bike that's actually more efficient than walking, right? So there's plenty of things we can do more of. We just have to stop consuming the worst things and start focusing on building the system so that that spreads. Thank you for that clarification. Now, going back to the Carbon Almanac, it's intentionally built, right, to provide information that is easy to access and share. So how can this book be used by those individuals in a variety of industries, for example, financial services or consulting or what have you, that may not immediately appear to relate to carbon in some sense? All right, well, so it's super simple. We didn't write this book to persuade anyone to change their mind. We wrote this book so that people would give it to people who sort of agree with them, that if a company with 100 or 500 or 5,000 people hands every single employee a, a copy of this book and says, over the weekend, go home and bring back three pages you think we should talk about, you're going to end up with a more informed workforce that's going to see that systems change is happening no matter what, and that your uh, ROI and your shareholder value and your employee satisfaction is going to go up if you are leading that change well, right now, victim of companies are busy instead putting in recycling bins, even though recycling is a fraud. And once they know that they are working on the wrong stuff, my hope is they'll start working on the right stuff. Very well put. Now, just as a follow-up to that, then how can this tool uh, be used by business owners who are impacted by you know, the SEC's recent discussion on climate risk disclosure? So either you as a corporate leader are gonna get ahead or you're gonna to fight to keep things the way they are. If you wanna get ahead, you do what the people who saw the internet coming did, which is instead of fighting a rear guard action with regulation to slow down the arrival of something that was inevitable, they led that way forward. So if you were a travel agent, the internet wasn't good news and you could try to persuade your customers not to book tickets online, but it wasn't gonna work. The alternative, if you're a travel agent, is go build kayak.com or Travelocity or TripAdvisor. So if you're a company where one of the inputs or outputs of what you do is an impact on the climate, what a great opportunity to be the mover who says, we're going to get ahead of this. We're going to push for systems change because it's going to come anyway. And if we're the one who's leading it, we are servicing all of our constituencies better than if we're the one who is fighting it. You know, in the last year, China has built enough wind and solar farms to create the equivalent of 52 coal plants worth of power. They're not doing that because they want to be good people. The people in China are just as good as the people here. They're doing it because they can see that resilient, free, clean power is the way to win. Well, multiply that by every industry you can think of. Fast fashion, 8% of our climate problem. Well, if you're Zara, what are you going to do about that? Pretending it's not a problem is not leadership. Fascinating conversation, um, but we're running out of time. So in closing, Seth, uh, what call to action would you make to our listeners? Fred Wilson says, no conflict, no interest. But in this case, I have no conflict. I have a lot of interest. 
I don't make a penny if you buy a copy of this book, but I think you should buy 100 copies of this book. We priced it so you can afford to buy 100 copies of the book. You're an organization. You're a leader. Buy 100 copies of the Almanac and hand them to people who need to have a conversation with you. That's why we created it. I don't have an answer, but we know there are questions. And what the market does is it solves problems. If you really want the market to solve a problem, you need to figure out what the problem is. What we're hoping people will do is share this and talk about it. That's why it exists. Seth Gojin, thank you so much for spending some of your precious time with us today. Well, thanks for leading. It matters. And before we sign off, my name is Kristen P. Ahern, and I'm the producer and editor of Sustaining Sustainability. We also want to hear from you. Let us know your thoughts in our podcast survey. Go to bit.ly slash CSB pod survey, all lowercase, all one word. The link is also in the show notes. This podcast is made by the Center for Sustainable Business at the University of Pittsburgh, directed by C.B. Bhattacharya. It is made possible by all our member companies. To learn more about our upcoming programs or about becoming a member, please go to our website or follow us at PittCSB on all social platforms. And if you liked this episode, please share it with a friend or colleague, since word of mouth is the best way for us to grow. And we'll see you soon for another episode of Sustaining Sustainability.